<laughs> hey now, what up though? It's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well, I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon. And what Patreon is, it's going to help you the JSC Radio listener, the JSC Radio follower and fan contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit. That's right. Looking for people to help keep this show moving. Whether you want to donate $1 an episode, hell, $1 a month for $5 per episode. I'll shout you out on this show and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes. That's right, JSC exclusives. You'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else. For $10 or more per episode, now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show. You got a business, you want me to talk about it, I want you to sponsor my show. For $10, hit me up, send me the script, I'm putting you over. Plus, you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it. For $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time, you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. For more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Uh, A series like this, um, with the expectations where they were, but in the learning process and that whole thing, what do you do if you're Philadelphia right now to make sure that next time you're the guys moving on? Well, I think the experience has definitely helped. Being in this environment, what happens when, you, when you're in the playoffs, maybe not the first round, but when you get to the second and conference finals, the carryover effect is the level of intensity that you play at during the regular season. Because you, you realize how high you have to play at in the, in the playoffs, and it carries over into the regular season, and you automatically play at a higher level than teams that aren't ready. The second thing is there are holes that were uncovered about the Philadelphia 76ers and about two guys who basically could possibly be the future of the league, Embiid and Ben Simmons. Both of those guys uh, have holes in their game, and they have to work on it. Now, the hardest thing ever to to do is when you're a great player or you're an all-star and someone says, you're still not good enough. You were the rookie of the year, possibly. Still not good enough. And and to actually take that in and believe it and go and work in the summertime. I'm interested to see if they're able to take that criticism because, as I'm saying, they're not good enough. But they are the future of the league. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 76th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Hey now. 
How the hell is everyone doing? Welcome once again, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. This is JSC Radio, and I am happy once again to be here with you ass. Check it in from the JSC Radio studios right here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection that is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, by way of the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. It's the Trust the Process edition of JSC Radio. But first things first, man, you're messing with the worst. Want to get off this shout out to each and every one of y'all who supports this show across all the different podcast providers. And I'm talking about Apple Podcasts, iTunes, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, on SoundCloud, that's soundcloud.com slash JSC Radio. Support the show on Stitcher.com. They finally updated that little issue they were having with old episodes loading, so we are officially caught up. Shout out to Google Play. If you have an Android device, tune in. We're on the TuneIn app, so check out the TuneIn app. Of course, we're on Audio Boom, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And while you're on Spotify, if you're listening to this on Spotify right now, first off, thank you. Damn it, thank you. Be sure to follow the Mind of J. Scott Smith playlist. That's right. Anything and everything is on that playlist. Check it out. It's great for road trips, workouts, wherever you're going. You can listen to it around the crib when you're not listening to this show. It's the Mind of J. Scott Smith playlist on Spotify, and there is no R. Kelly on that playlist. I also want to thank you all for supporting the website, jscottsmith.com, the mothership, jscottsmith.com, the original, original home of the show be sure to support jsc tv every saturday on rvntv.tv simply go to rvntv.tv about 11 30 a.m every saturday 11 30 a.m eastern time and you'll see my wonderful face sitting there right in front of you on the screen be sure to follow me on twitter at J. Scott Smith. That's J-A-Y-S-C-O. Two T's. S-M-I-T-H. I am verified. And you can also follow the show at J-S-C Radio. I'm on Instagram too. At J. Scott Smith. Hey, Instagram, anytime you want to verify me, I'm right here, damn it. I am right here. But unfortunately, who's not right here anymore are the Philadelphia 76ers. So, of course, in the 76th, the 76th episode of the podcast, I figured I would lead with the 76ers. And I've talked about the Detroit Pistons, and please understand I will get to them in the second half of this thing. I've talked about the Detroit Pistons repeatedly during this season. Yes. Yeah, indeed. And When I think of the Pistons and I look at their current situation, you can't help but look over to the Wells Fargo Center or look across the Delaware River over to Camden where the Sixers have their practice facility. Because while we all, and mind you at the time rightfully, mocked the quote-unquote process that the Sixers did, the quote-unquote process that the Sixers had. In the end, we all ended up looking like morons for making fun of the damn thing. 76ers had a season that was an eye-opener. It was an absolute eye-opener. They go from 72 losses just two years ago to 52 wins, including 16 straight to close out the regular season, plus winning their first playoff game against Miami, lost game two, then won the final three. 
And then they ran into Boston and did everything they could to basically avoid a sweep. They, they essentially ate what is called a gentleman's sweep. They lost it in five games. But they had the type of season that is a revelation. They had the type of season that wasn't some one-year, one-off fluke like what the Pistons had in 2016 when they mustered 44 wins just to stroll into the playoffs and get knocked out. The Sixers are going to be a player in the league, even though their process, all the losing, all the tanking, all the crap that these people in Philly had to go through was painful. It worked. It effectively worked which is rather astonishing because when you look at how teams are built, it used to be, yes, you still build through the draft. Just take a look over at the Boston Celtics, for example, or the Golden State Warriors, because for all the butt cheek clenching and whining about Durant signing there and they have a super team, the Warriors drafted that super team. They drafted Klay Thompson. They drafted Draymond Green. They drafted Steph Curry. Yeah, they got Kevin Durant. So what? That's the only real major free agent acquisition they got if you don't count David West. They drafted Harrison Barnes. They built that team through the draft. The Celtics have done the same thing. Now, the Celtics, of course, have been able to have the optimal amount of success, having a very good team for most of the last decade, while at the same time being able to fleece franchises of draft picks. High Brooklyn. What the Sixers did was revolutionary in its own right because they essentially said, we are going to basically crash and burn this thing. We are going to crash it all. 2012 was the last time they made the playoffs. They barely slid in as an eighth seed, and then everything broke right. And when I say broke right, I mean Derrick Rose literally broke. Derrick Rose blows out his knee in game one. Joe Kim Noah gets hurt. And essentially that turned the Bulls from a one seed into another eighth seed. And Philadelphia beat them to win the series. And damn near got to the conference finals. They pushed Boston to seven games that year, which was nuts. And then they blew the whole damn thing up. I mean, nuclear bomb blew it up, destroyed it, everything. They were going to start from bare bones and their GM Sam Hinkie underwent what eventually became quote the process and I swear it was ugly and it was silly and it was stupid at the time people want to give Sam Hinkie credit for blowing the team up and to a certain extent he deserves some of the credit He was going to keep trading every possible asset they got for more picks. He would have traded Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid by now. That's the direction he was going in. Anytime the Sixers showed a little sign of life, he shipped the guy out. So he gets enough credit along the way. But let's keep it real, though. Once you got Colangelo in and they were able to kind of stabilize the rebuild, It showed last year, and I've said it repeatedly on this podcast for the last year. I had the Sixers at about 40 to 45 wins this year. I figured they would make the playoffs, but probably as a seven or an eight. They would get in, take a couple shots, probably win a game or two, unlike the Pistons, win a game or two in the first round and be on their way. Then they won 16 consecutive games to end the damn season to go from the seven seed to the three. The three, 
dog. That was amazing. Watching that team all year, it worked. And the Sixers aren't the first team to do something crazy like this. Just completely blew the whole damn thing up or let the damn thing crash for a year or two years, or in their case, four years, and then come back. I've cited it before. Look at Major League Baseball. Two of the last three World Series winners went all tankapalooza for a few years. The Chicago Cubs, they went all tankapalooza. The Houston Astros blew the whole damn thing up and crashed into the water. I point out that there was that year that the Cubs and Astros, when they were still in the National League Central, managed to be the two worst teams in baseball. It was the rare occasion where a team had lost 100 games plus in a season, but did not finish in last place in their own division. When both the Cubs and Astros lost more than 100 games. And within, what was it, three, about two, three years, four years, both those teams had won World Series. Because they completely blew the damn thing up. Stockpiled prospects, made a couple of shrewd moves, built up from the farm system, bingo. Cubs break the 108-year streak. Astros get their first ever title. San Antonio Spurs ate it for a year. David Robinson got hurt. Sean Elliott got hurt. They just said the hell with it. And they basically crashed out. Got lucky in the draft lottery and got Tim Duncan because Boston had been eyeballing Duncan and with San Antonio got the top pick, took Duncan. Rick Pitino just threw up his hands, drafted Chauncey Billups, and then kicked him to the curb only for Chauncey to come back and kick that team's ass a few years later. It happens. Teams can tank out and they succeed. And that's what the Sixers did. This season was a revelation for them. Truthfully, I got a kick out of watching these people here in Philly just kind of go on this ride with the Sixers because you know, and of course you knew I was going to make a comparison. It reminds me a hell of a lot of the 2002 Detroit Pistons. When Grant Hill left in 2000, the Pistons basically crashed and burned. It was a sign and trade. They got Chucky Atkins and Ben Wallace. They along the way picked up Corliss Williamson. Now, in terms of drafting guys, they didn't have the luck that the Sixers had. But they were able to leverage some gritty, underused, and poorly coached players into a great situation. Joe Dumars made some shrewd moves, rebuilt that team kind of on the fly. And within two years of Grant being out of there, not only were they in the playoffs, they'd won their division. They were a top three seed in the the damn conference. Just like Philly. 2002, they went from from 32 and 50 to 50 and 32. Won the Central Division on the last night, beating the Milwaukee Bucks. It was was mind-blowing to see that turnaround. And it was the start of something. Because the following year, they won 50 games again, except this time they ended up top seed in the East, made it to the Conference Finals. Lost to the New Jersey Nets, got swept, which that series, in retrospect, looked a hell of a lot like the one the Sixers just went through, where you could argue those two teams were about evenly matched, but the Nets still had Jason Kidd and Kenyon Martin and Kerry Kittles and Keith Van Horn was on that team. They had a damn good squad. The Pistons had just gotten Chauncey Billups, and they had Rip, 
They had Ben. It's still Cliff Robinson at the time. They had Mehmet Okor, who was a rookie. You had John Barry, I think, was still on this team. They had a Corliss was on this team. They had pretty damn good squad of their own. But the, I was about to call them the Sixers. The Nets had the experience and that edge. And in big time situations, they knew what to do when the lights got bright and the shit got tight. The Pistons hadn't fully hit that, had that form yet. They hadn't hit their final form yet. It was the following year when they got Rasheed Wallace and they had Mike James and they had, yeah, it was like they got Elton Campbell and they put together this team that didn't give a shit. That's what essentially the Celtics were to the 76ers. The 76ers were a really good team. Do I think that that was a 52-win team? No. I thought their ceiling was 45 wins. That's a 45-win team that won 52 games. And it's got to feeling themselves. The process for them worked. But now comes the second half of the process. The first part of the process was simple. You tear it down, build it up, look for some luck in the draft, and hope for the best. Now, you got to build on that. Now you have to experience what teams on the rise really go through, that you don't get it all handed to you at once. These Sixers, and this is where I'm critical of them, these Sixers got a little too mouthy and a little too ahead of themselves. And yes, I'm looking directly at Joel Embiid. Hell of a player. Damn good player. All-star. Great talent. He talks way too damn much for a guy who's never won anything. Because now, the cutesy talk shit on social media, troll everybody, get in everybody's face, yappity yap, talk trash. All that goes out the window now. You could get away with that because up until this year, nobody gave a damn about the 76ers. They saw the 76ers as an adorable little anomaly. Now, the Sixers are looked at as a target. So all the the, the yappity yap, the yakety sacks that you do, the talking shit to guys on the floor, the talking shit to dudes on Instagram and on on Twitter and all that. You got to dead that, bro, because now there's a target on you and everybody's coming for your ass. You ain't sneaking up on nobody anymore. 52 wins, got a first round win. The 0-2 Pistons did the same thing. Got 50 wins, beat Toronto in the first round, got to Boston and got gun clapped. It happens. And now you got to build. You got to stop talking. When you're down 3-0 in a series, you ain't nobody's head, dude. You see that? You, you see that shit in, in game four? Sixers down 3-0, and they needed TJ McConnell to save their season for, well, extend it for two days. And you got Embiid mouthing off to Marcus Morris of all the guys. Marcus Morris is one of like the five or six dudes in the NBA you don't want it with. And hell, I wish he were still in a piston uniform. He was legit tough. He was a guy who he he was a guy who would have fit on those mid 2000s piston teams. You got Embiid all in Marcus Morris's face and all Morris had to do was throw the 3-0 up in his face. That shit works against teams like Detroit, dude. It works against teams like Charlotte. It works against Orlando. It kind of worked against Miami. And I'll get to that in a second, too. It kind of worked against Miami. It don't work against a team like Boston that's seen some shit, that's been through some shit. And it really don't work when they're up three love on you. You ain't nobody's head when you're down 3-0. They're up in your ass when you're down 3-0. So Embiid needs to grow up. 
He needs to continue to focus on making his game better, being tougher. Stop expecting calls because you're not at that level yet. You are getting there, but you're not at that level where you get automatic calls. Get your ass in the post a little more and start shutting the fuck up. That would be helpful because now it's go time. This is the real part of the process. You got to the second round and got beat. People here in Philly are a lot like people in Detroit. Once you get your ass to the second round, they expect no worse than the conference finals the next year. And you need to start delivering where that act is going to get really tired. Ben Simmons needs to grow up, but not in the way that that Embiid does. Simmons is a hell of a player. You can debate whether or not he's a rookie, but Simmons is a hell of a player. He really is. But he simply experienced growing pains. What happened to Ben Simmons happens to a lot of rookies in big time situations. That the first time that heat gets turned up, the first time that pressure's on, you start to wobble. Simmons never played a game of merit at LSU. Hell, he barely played at LSU. He played like two-thirds of the season, then basically quit on the team when he was academically ineligible, and he had no intention of sticking around. LSU didn't even make the tournament the one year he was there. Last year, Sixers didn't make the playoffs, and he was hurt the whole damn season. This is the first year he's fully played. But the problem with that is... Now he's got to build. You can't be out here in a playoff game scoring one point, dog. You can't be out here making terrible turnovers like you did in game three. You can't be out here disappearing for long stretches of time and being a secondary or tertiary player on the floor. Dario Saric, on the other hand, that dude looks like money. And y'all might have to back the Brinks truck up for that guy when his contract is up because he looks like he's going to be a problem for a long time. Simmons, on the other hand, he's going to be great. But now he's got to take the next step. Got to become a better free throw shooter. Got to work on his mid-range game. He's got to get better for the Sixers to get better. You cannot rest on your laurels. And at times it seems like with this team's attitude, they got very content and very fat and happy. Ersan Ilyasova and, and Joel Embiid and all these guys, you beat Miami. Stop talking to them. Shut the fuck up talking to them. You won. Why is it before game one and even game two of the Boston series, you're still punching back at Miami or taking cheap shots at Miami? Leave the heat out of this. You beat them. Scoreboard. You got a tougher team sitting in front of you. Stop talking to them. You did what you had to do. That's the level of growing up they need to do. This is going to be an interesting offseason. I think this idea that LeBron James is going to suddenly come to Philadelphia, I think that's a pipe dream. He ain't coming out here. He may not be staying in Cleveland, but he ain't coming out here. So don't sit here banking on that LeBron is just going to see the quote-unquote process and want to become a part of it and just come running out to Philly. That's, that's not what that basically does. It just All it really does is just shift you, what, into Cleveland spot? Where, yeah, you have a few better players than the Cavs currently have, but that also is going to restructure a lot of shit. And somebody's going to have to go. So you might risk losing Sharich or J.J. Redick on a team like this. The Sixers have something special here. And say what you will about how they went about it. And I thought it was a little silly at first until it started to make sense to me about a year or so in. I know this much. I'm not going to sit out here like a certain now fired coach and mock what they did all the while they're lapping the field on you. Oh, you knew I was going to go there. 
coming up after this break, I got a few things to say about Stan Van Gundy and the Detroit Pistons as a whole, because that's a franchise that unfortunately has turned into everything that I've loathed about a lot of bad franchises. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 76th episode, Episodia 76 of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. You can trust that process. I'll be back after this. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. People are always looking to invest in a good opportunity. So what if you could invest in the future of kids, like a stock? Not the kind of stock that's about making money, but a stock for social change called Better Futures. With your investment, it helps students like me go to college. My name is Charles, and I'm your dividend. Invest in Better Futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish that! Oh, come on! <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This is JSC Radio. Now we, we put them on front street. Now what, what are the moves that teams like Detroit need to do? You know, you bring in Blake Griffin. You have Andre, Andre Drummond. Drummond. You well, have a mixture of guys and well, collection. Got, they, For me, the first thing that I, I would see, you know, and I... I'll let you go first. Then. Well, what I do think you see? the first thing you have to say to yourself, okay, we got Blake and we got uh, uh, Drummond. Those are two good players. Then you have to figure out. Well, can they play together? That's well, they don't have to. They both make a ton of money. Yeah, but they're 11 and 14 after yeah, that's, no, that's I, with them, so they have to figure out but, a way to play with them. You bring a guy in the middle of the season for the last right. two months. That's not fair. They both hell of a players. Yep. They gave away their lot, uh, they draft pick. They gonna have to put together a scouting service and go find guys like a Rozier. Mm. Uh, you know, you look at my man in Toronto. Even though they can't beat the Cavs, Danny Ainge has done a fabulous job. But Mashad up in, in Toronto, they have the best bench in the league, and they're not drafted in the lottery every year. They're because they're, they're in the playoffs, so they don't get the draft. Yes, but that tells me he's doing a hell of a, a hell job. Of a, exactly. So the Pistons, when you look at their roster, you're like, man, they're not a good team. See, the thing is, Chuck, the Pistons aren't a very good team. The scariest part of it is they seem to think they are a good team, and that's why they're where they are right now. This is the 76th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here. Once again, want to thank each and every one of y'all who supports across all the different podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, the TuneIn app. Be sure to go to your app store and look up the TuneIn app, T-U-N-E-I-N app, and you can get us there. Audio Boom, big ups to y'all, iHeartRadio, and of course, 
Spotify, where you got to remember, hit up the Mind of J. Scott Smith playlist on Spotify. Everything you can ask for, for the road trip, for the gym, just being around the house. Have it in your headphones when you're in the grocery store. It makes the shit flow even faster. And, and there's a playlist of nothing but throwbacks coming very soon. And I'll tell you what that one is and where to look for it on Spotify, you know, when you're not listening to the show. Also, be sure to hit up jscottsmith.com. And another guy you need to follow on Spotify is my man, Doc Illingsworth. He does the music you hear underneath us every single week. Support Doc Illingsworth. It's actually just Illingsworth. Look up Illingsworth, I-L-L-I-N-G-S-W-O-R-T-H on Spotify or wherever you get your music and his shit is there. Also, big up to my man, Awesome Jones, too. He gets it done, and he drops some beats in for us as well. Overall, really good dudes. And of course, again, hit up the mothership, jscottsmith.com. So during the break, as we get ready to talk about these Pistons, a Woj bomb dropped from Adrian Wojnarowski. Yes, indeed. Late breaking news here. The Toronto Raptors have fired head coach Dwayne Casey. The Dwayne Casey, who just led the Raptors to 59 regular season wins the number one overall seed in the Eastern Conference, only for them to get a very stiff brooming once again by LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. This guy could possibly win NBA Coach of the Year and get fired at the same damn time. That's a feeling I know pretty well. And it's interesting that that name just happens to fall out of the clear blue friggin' sky as I'm about to talk about the Detroit Pistons. Because now... The Detroit Pistons just got a really good coach dropped in their lap, especially since it took them five weeks to figure out whether or not to get rid of the dumpy Ron Jeremy lookalike who'd been running this franchise into the ground for the last four years. Yes, I'm talking about Stan Van Gundy. What the hell has happened to the Detroit Pistons? Exactly. I've been asking that question too, Stephen A. Well, one of the things that was wrong with the Detroit Pistons is Stan Van Gundy. Now, as we can finally rehash and do a post-mortem on this whole thing, I've talked about the Pistons ad nauseum. And yes, I just did a whole segment on the 76ers, a team that the Pistons, their fans, and specifically Van Gundy took great time to mock and poke fun at and call a disgrace and troll and all this crap they do to the Sixers. I'm not a Sixer fan, but it's one thing if you're the Cavaliers and you're taking shots at Philly. It's one thing if you're the Warriors and you're taking shots at Philly, if you're Boston and taking shots at Philly. It's another thing if you're the Detroit Pistons, who have gone nearly a full decade without winning a playoff game. Not a series, a playoff game. The anniversary of their last playoff victory is fast approaching. It was game four of the 2008 Eastern Conference Finals at the Palace against the Boston Celtics. That was the last time the Detroit Pistons won a postseason game. Are you kidding me? But this is a franchise that wants to mock and make fun of the Philadelphia 76ers, who managed to go from 72 losses to 52 wins and lapped your ass on the way there. And a lot of that is on Stan Van Gundy. It's not all on him, but most of it is. It took five weeks to fire him. Why? This is a team that has long thought it was better than it actually was. They've inherited a lot of the traits of the Detroit Lions, and oh boy, have they had a week. A lot of the traits of the Detroit Lions that I've learned to loathe throughout this decade. This weird sense of entitlement 
a whole lot of excuses. There's a level of delusion with this franchise where they honestly think they're better than what they are. I did the episode on Blake Griffin when he was traded. And it was it, it was kind of cathartic for me to get it out there because Blake Griffin was just the latest in a long, long, long line of silly, stupid, overwrought moves that Stan Van Gundy made. Because Stan Van Gundy wasn't just the head coach. He was the president of basketball operations. He's essentially the GM and the president. He had a, quote, GM named Jeff Bauer that he claimed in a way to kind of, you know, pass that buck that Bauer was the one who made all these moves. That's bullshit, Stan. You made these moves. When you thought the move was going to work out, you made these moves. When you're about to get fired, oh no, that was Jeff Bauer. Jeff Bauer basically is simply there to rubber stamp whatever you tell him to do or told him to do because on Monday, his ass was fired. All of these missteps, all of this bullshit where he came in, Tom Gorris, and boy, am I going to get to you in a second, Tom Gorris with that shit-eating grin when he introduced him four years ago, and all they talk about is winning and championships and the pedigree. Can you believe that there was actually a point where the Golden State Warriors were choosing between Stan Van Gundy and Steve Kerr? Think about that. Think about how much history changes if Stan Van Gundy is out there as opposed to Steve Kerr, who's like the perfect guy for the Golden State Warriors. Stan Van Gundy had one good season in Detroit, lost 23 of his first 28 games as Piston head coach, and got rid of Josh Smith. And you know it's bad when the Pistons are hanging their hat on the fact that they went 500 after a 5-23 and start. Nobody cares about you going 500 after a 5-23 and start. Going 500 after that is not an accomplishment. It's not. I'm not impressed by that. I wasn't impressed then. They recovered slightly the next year, then made the playoffs in 2016. Good. We talked about that. Hell, talked about it on one of the early editions of this podcast. Don't get swept. They went out and got swept. They had one season, 44 wins, 38 losses. They barely back in at the number eight spot and get backed over by LeBron James. That's all you have to show. He went 152 and 176, 0-4 in the postseason. Didn't win a division title, had one winning season. How does this happen? Part of it is because Van Gundy was given free reign, something that not too many guys have. And I've seen Greg Popovich brought up Even in the case of Greg Popovich, Greg took a step back. Pop took a step back from some of the personnel things and handed that off to the team. And that's why the Spurs continue to keep rolling, where even if they're not winning championships, they're never out of that discussion. You cannot have one guy doing two damn things. You cannot. You can't. And it's shown that over and over and over again. It's not successful. Tom Thibodeau is going to find that out in Minneapolis. It's not successful. Look at all these the ways these, these things have been screwed up. I already referenced Josh Smith, which needed to be done. It should have been done earlier. Maybe they don't go 5-23 and 23 if you get rid of Josh Smith a little sooner. So you get rid of him. Fine. You make the trade for Reggie Jackson, then sign him to some big-ass money, which I don't think Reggie Jackson's worth that money. I've said that over and over and over again. I don't think he's worth the money. I don't think he's a, a franchise point guard. He's Rodney Stuckey 2.0. Then it gets interesting. Then we get to the free agent signings. The whole woe is me. Nobody wants to come to Detroit. Nobody wants to play here. Again, I call bullshit. When the Pistons were good, guys wanted to play here. You got to put a team out there worth coming to join. Philadelphia ain't much different from Detroit, but I can guarantee you motherfuckers are suddenly going to want to come here. You really want to play in Minneapolis? Guess what? Timberwolves are pretty good now. They'd be willing to go up there and freeze their ass off for five months. 
to play for the Timberwolves. Oakland wasn't exactly a destination until Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green made it a destination for guys like Kevin Durant. You think anybody wants to go to Oklahoma City? Hell, Kevin Durant bailed out of Oklahoma City. But you can still get guys to go there if you put a good team on the floor. So miss me with this bullshit that Detroit is not a good free agent territory. It is when the team is worth a damn. But they're not. Because Stan Van Gundy decided to spend lots of money on guys like John Luer and Langston Galloway. Go back into the archives and you'll see what I think of John Luer. I still did not realize that dude played at Wisconsin. And I remember watching Wisconsin play against Michigan State multiple times. Never heard his name once. Didn't know who the hell he was. Langston Galloway, sure he's a nice kid. He wasn't worth three years at 20 some odd million dollars. That bargain basement, cheap ass, lazy attitude is part of it. Then we get to the draft. I talked about the draft. I talked about the 76ers and what they did in the draft. And yes, the Sixers got themselves some top tier draft picks. It's a little bit different situation than I would say, you know, the Pistons. Because part of the reason the Pistons are such a pain in the ass and part of the reason that the Pistons are in this situation is that they've long since refused to just do the Seth Rollins routine and burn it down. When they started 5-23, and 23, they should have burned it down then. But Stan Van Gundy's pride, mixed with Tom Gorris's detachment and aloofness, would not allow them to burn it down. 5-23, and 23, scrap the season, burn it down. Instead, you got these idiots out here trying to feverishly win games late in the season that don't matter. Burn it down. So their draft picks were not as high as they should have been. But even with that... You look at who they passed up. Devin Booker. Yeah, the Phoenix Suns aren't any good. But Devin Booker is the one reason you would even turn that game on. Devin Booker has scored 70 points in a game. Devin Booker is amazing. Put Devin Booker in a situation with a halfway decent team. Look out. Instead, the Pistons passed on him and took Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson. Kid can't shoot. He's a decent defender. I'm not taking Stanley Johnson over Devin Booker. The next draft, you take some some cat named Henry Ellenson. I don't even know who the hell Henry Ellenson is, but somehow you drafted him. Don't know who this kid is. Was he a top 10 pick? No, he was a first round pick. He wasn't a top 10 pick. The top 10 pick was Johnson. The top 15 lottery pick the following year is maybe the most egregious one. Luke Kennard instead of Donovan Mitchell. Oh, no. Now the Jazz just got knocked out of the playoffs by the Rockets. They were in the second round. Jazz beat Oklahoma City in six games. Donovan Mitchell looked like a total savage out there. Donovan Mitchell plays with an anger, a fire, and a passion, and he carries himself with a swagger that would be perfect in a Piston uniform, perfect in a Detroit uniform. Instead, Stan Van Gundy doing some of the same bullshit the Lions were doing for a long time, this whole smartest man in the room routine where the Pistons really thought they were one player away from taking off and becoming this playoff team drafted for now and what they felt would be now in drafting Luke Kennard, who, by the way, if your name's not Grant Hill or Jason Tatum and you're coming out of Duke, I'm really not paying much attention to you. If you got drafted out of Duke, you probably suck. Luke Kennard is a middle-of-the-road, middle-first-round, a late-first-round guy that got taken in front of the guy who might, if not for Ben Simmons, win the damn Rookie of the Year award. Every time I see Donovan Mitchell, it makes me angry. Every time. Running around out there with the Jazz, 
dunking over five, six guys, knocking down big shots. He would be a stud. He is a star in the making. But Stan Van Gundy passed him over for some white boy from Duke. And I'm not talking about J.J. Redick. I guess J.J. Redick's the other guy. He's fashioned himself into a sharpshooter in the NBA. You drafted Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell. And then there's the Blake Griffin trade. I did a whole damn episode on that. And I told you back then it reeked of desperation. It was the type of move that really made me wonder if Tom Gorris was paying any attention, any attention to this team. The Pistons were actually better off without Blake Griffin. They didn't need Blake Griffin. But out of pure desperation and hubris to keep the job, spoiler alert, got fired anyway. Out of straight up hubris and out of straight up desperation, they trade Blake Griffin. You trade your two best wing players, Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris, plus your first round draft pick for Blake Griffin who comes with the worst contract in the sport tethered to his damn ankle because you needed a star. We can't get star players here. We had to go out and get a star. We got to get a star. Hey, dumbass, you could have drafted the star, but instead you thought Luke Kennard was suddenly going to shoot you into the playoffs. We got to get a star. Got to get Blake Griffin. Now we got our superstar and we're ready to roll. The arrogance and the aloofness of that trade. And yeah, Van Gundy came up with it. He can say Jeff Bauer and all that. No, Van Gundy, that was his Hail Mary move. They make a lot of Hail Mary moves to try to get over rather than just doing it the right way. I'm not saying you got to lose 70 games a year for three or four years. I'm not saying you got to go out here and completely tank for half a decade. Because guess what? The Pistons might end up doing that anyway and not even have anything to show for it. There is a thin line between being the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. The problem is is that the Pistons are trending a lot closer to being the Nets. Apparently, Van Gundy turned down a deal from Boston that would have gotten the multiple draft picks. Turned it down because they are so hell-bent on proving you don't have to tank to win, despite the fact that it's very clear, if done correctly, you can tank and be out of the tank within two to three years. So would you rather throw away two or three years or throw away a decade like the Pistons have between multiple coaches and multiple GMs and one guy who held both jobs and two damn owners, even though I couldn't tell you where the hell the current one is because you don't see his ass most of the time. And that brings me to Tom Gorris. He sucks as an owner, an NBA owner. When it comes to platinum equity, all the some bitch does make money. And that's really all the Pistons were. They were just another property for his platinum equity franchise. Just another thing to add to his portfolio. He's a guy who was raised in the Flint area, raised in Michigan, went to Michigan State University, but then he got his money and he took his ass out west to Beverly Hills. He's out in L.A. owning the Detroit Pistons via satellite from Saturn, basically. This cat is out here at Beverly Hills by the pool while Stan Van Gundy is out essentially running it into the ground because he's too much of a muttonhead to simply tear it down. They traded for Blake Griffin and all just, and of course, some people bid on the pump fake. I didn't at the time, but some people bid on the fake. As I mentioned in that first episode, after that four game little win streak that they went on, cats were out here yapping as if the Blake Griffin trade, how is it the, is it the next Rasheed Wallace trade? Could this be the Rasheed Wallace trade? No, it's not the Rasheed Wallace trade. The Rasheed Wallace trade, if you didn't know, 
turned a team that made the conference finals into an NBA champion. The Blake Griffin trade turned a lottery team into a lottery team that doesn't have a lottery pick. They went 11-14 and 14 after Blake Griffin got there. They were actually three games worse than what they were when he arrived. They were a game or two out of the playoff spot. They finished five out at the end of the season. And of course, Blake Griffin got hurt late in the year and didn't play the rest of the way. Get ready for that the next four years. But the arrogance and the condescension and the cluelessness doesn't just go with Van Gundy. It goes to the guy that hired him, took five weeks to fire him, and damn near stood by him. Van Gundy can sit here and say he would have been happy just to coach and not have personnel. I think that's a lie. Goris wanted you to give up the GM job. You you made him think about it. And this dummy thought about it. Boy, it pisses me off. You can't tell. You gave away your damn draft pick. Unless somehow, some way, the draft gods see fit to sprinkle a little of that pixie dust on you and you end up with the top three pick, you're going to lose a first round draft pick and then you're really stuck. You're stuck with a flawed ass team with guys like John Lure and Dwight Bikes and, and a broke ass, broken down Reggie Jackson and a broke ass, broken down Blake Griffin and Luke Kennard instead of Donovan Mitchell and Henry Ellenson who looks like Lurch. Henry Ellenson looks like Mehmet Okur without the talent. This is what you got. This is what this is what Piston fans have to look forward to. You constantly whining and pining about, well, if we had Reggie Jackson, you still wouldn't have made the playoffs. But we had a winning record with Reggie Jackson. You still wouldn't have gotten in. Well, you, we didn't get to see him with Blake and with and it and what? Blake and Andre Drummond, who Andre Drummond, who needs to be more like DeAndre Jordan, but for some bizarre reason, thinks that he's Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis. Got this video of this dude out here taking three-point shots and working on his three-point jumper. Dude, go get a post move. You lead the league in rebounding. That might be a hint that maybe if you hung out in the post a little bit more, you'd be able to do all kinds of damage. Work on your free throw shooting, not your three-point shooting, you simpleton. This franchise reminds me so much of the Lions with their commitment to mediocrity, their refusal to look at reality, their refusal to just simply blow the shit up because your owner is too busy jet-setting and buying up a bunch of companies to care about the NBA team that he owns. And I don't like to bash Spartans, but I'll bash the hell out of this one. He's too clueless and too, too slow on the draw to do anything with this franchise. And now they're stuck. They're stuck with Blake Griffin, and that contract's only going to get worse before it gets better. That's going to be the new Prince Fielder contract soon enough. Reggie Jackson's mediocre at best. Andre Drummond is one-dimensional, and the one dimension he has isn't post-scoring. It's post-rebounding. He's not even that good of a defender. You gave up your two best wing players. You're stuck with this with this guy, Luke Kennard, who, sure, he at some point could be a pretty good shooter, but consider who got picked after him. I'd give up Luke Kennard in a heartbeat. It just pisses me off. And by the way, Pistons, Piston fans, the next Piston coach, possibly Dwayne Casey, shut up about the Sixers. Keep the Sixers' name out your mouth. The Sixers won this. You mocked them. You took shots at them. You took jabs at them. Even when the Sixers were bad, I remember the Sixers had two terribly long losing streaks, and both times the Pistons were the team they broke them against. Stop running your mouth about them. Leave the process out of this. Maybe you need to start thinking about your own process. Maybe they'll get a GM 
Arntella has to come up with something, but maybe they'll get themselves a GM who can somehow perform some Houdini act to get them out of these shitty contracts and stop dangling draft picks and stop selling this pipe dream that the Pistons are on the verge of being a playoff team. So what? Let's just assume Reggie Jackson's there and somehow you make the playoffs. What are you going to do? You're going to get in the playoffs and get smashed by Toronto The same Toronto that then went up and got smashed by Cleveland. And a little side note, it's hard to believe that the same DeMar DeRozan who snatched pretty much every Pistons soul with one dunk is the same DeMar DeRozan who had his soul snatched by LeBron James. That is amazing. And that shows you how far away the Pistons are. Where that team that LeBron manhandled wouldn't manhandle the Pistons. They would have gotten swept if they made the playoffs. That's not good enough. Just getting there and getting swept is not good enough. Just like I said, just getting into the playoffs and losing is not good enough when it comes to the Lions. You know, hope is not a goddamn strategy. Guess what? The same thing applies to the Pistons. This whole, let's just make the playoffs and hope something great happens. No, be like the 76ers or the Celtics or the Rockets or the Warriors or hell, the Jazz and actually get into the playoffs with a plan to do something. Get out there and win. Stop acting like a bunch of cowards. Grow up. If it means you got to take a step back for a year or two, because guess what? You're about to take a step back for four. Do it and then get right. Get it right. You're waiting on these quick fixes and something to come in here and save you. And you live in here on hope and a damn prayer and everything else. Like I can't, like I keep saying about the Detroit Lions. Hope is not a goddamn strategy. Jesus, Pistons. Took you forever to get rid of Van Gundy. It's going to take you forever to get yourselves right. I don't even know if I want to waste my time talking about them in the future until they get themselves right. I called them a C-minus franchise, but you get an F on this report card. My name is Jay Scott Smith telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. And we are out of here. Remember to trust the process. Check out JSC TV this weekend. And I'll holla at you next week. Goodbye, everybody. When you look at their roster, you're like, man, they're not a good team. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online. For like a year, she couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.